Good morning. Oh, first, I want to say thank you so much um, for the opportunity. We definitely at Jackson State RUF appreciate Redeemer. I think uh, most people know about the long-running relationship. How uh, I remember when I first came here, as a matter of fact, I wanted to be <laughs> I wanted to be a college student, but I was a seminary student, and I didn't know if seminary students could go to L and M's large groups. So I just went. I was like, man, like I heard about what's going on, I'm just going to be a part whether they want me or not. But I am extremely appreciative. Uh, I thought about this all week. I'm super appreciative of the stress of preaching. Uh, like I stressed a lot because I think very highly of it. And I know that many of you know me and know me well and know that. So it hasn't been an easy week. But it's been an extremely fruitful week for the Lord, I believe, in my heart. And I hope he pushes that out. And I hope he does that for you. Our scripture is Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 8. It's a single verse. It reads simply, but it's very deep. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let me pray and we'll dive in. God, thank you so much for the person and the work of your son, Jesus Christ, who loves his creation. He loves his own righteousness. He loves to see his creatures, your creatures, love his righteousness. I pray that this sermon be about that that people who know him will be helped to remember him. That people who may not know him will come to know him only because of his sovereignty and his choice. Thank you so much for preaching, for your word, for your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I had to think about how, um, first of all, it's, it's, it's pretty difficult to pick like one text, like you know what, I'm gonna preach this one text and it's gonna be great. I was back and forth like seven different times. Uh, but I think what led me to this is the surrounding world. So, and I know that this is not something that probably anybody in this room is not familiar with. Things are crazy. And they, and people will act crazy with it. I've had to endure a lot of crazy. I think you've had to endure a lot of crazy. And those changes cause a lot of people to feel a lot of different ways and say a lot of different things and move away from each other. And some people move, to move toward each other that never thought that they would move toward each other. And they may not be right reasons that they're moving toward each other, but they're moving toward each other because of change. Change scares people. Some people. I found this quote 
from this man named J.C. Ryle that I read a lot from. I got a lot of respect for him. This is what he says about the world. This is a long time ago, too. He says, just so this world has gone through a blighting, withering change, and therefore it is we see so much of lusts unbridled and tempers ungoverned and passions unrestrained and intellects, intellects degraded and affections misplaced and powers misapplied and God neglected dishonored and lightly esteemed, and the sicknesses which devour their thousands, and the wars which cut off their tens of thousands, and the graves of infants snatched away in the springtime of life, and the tears and distresses and troubles and sorrows and afflictions which God never placed in Eden, but of which we now hear continually. All these tell you the same tale. The world is no longer the same. All these are the handwriting on the wall to remind us that man, like an unfaithful steward, has marred and spoiled his master's handiwork by his own sin. And so put the creation out of order and course. Surrounding Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, there are just a couple of different categories. Like, listen to these categories in those verses. Brotherly love. Hospitality to strangers, remembering those in prison and the mistreated, marriage, sexually immoral and adulterous, love of money, remembering those leaders who speak the word of God, diverse and strange teachings. Think about those things. Think about how it feels in our world what it would feel like if in the midst of the things that we think through and speak about regularly, somebody walked up and said, brotherly love, is it here? I had a conversation with a young man in a coffee shop, just because, and I know that the few people who may recognize this in here, I'm crazy at times, like I, not, I'm not crazy, I just do crazy stuff. Or at least stuff or, or things that feel crazy to some people. And so I just ask him, like, bro, what do you get out of looking at the stitching on the back of that, that lady's jeans? What do you get from it? And I'm not saying that to him as if I don't sin. As if I haven't been lustful. I'm just ha hoping that he'll come to Lord's group. <laughs> <laughs> hoping I can have a relationship with him. But starting, he knows, you know, he can see me reading the Bible, that whole thing. And it made me think about, when I'm engaging in the world, what would it feel like if during some of my thoughts and some of the moments that I find myself in, someone walks up and reminds me of Jesus? of how in this changing thing, when some Christians feel more liberties than they felt before, what if you remind them that Jesus has remained constant? That he didn't change. He hasn't shifted. And I just think it's something we should think about. I think it's that vital. 
Nothing could have been or can ever be more important for us when compromise and change are encircling us, when doubt is pushing against us, than for Jesus Christ to stand immutable, meaning he cannot change. He is immutable. There's not even a possibility for change. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The word the same, again, you can say Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ. Yesterday and today and forever. I put this down from something that I found. It's derived from the particle owl with the added force of a demonstrative pronoun. In itself, it signifies nothing more than again. Applied to what has either been previously mentioned or when the whole discourse is looked at, must necessarily be supplied. It is necessary to say that he's the same because his name has been spoken at the beginning of the sentence. So every time you hear the name Jesus Christ, you should think not changing. Every time you hear his name in a song, at the end of a prayer, you read it in a sentence, you should think everlasting. It's the reason that I titled this sermon, The Everlasting Withstands the Ever-Changing. As the definitions around us change, Jesus Christ and his name will not change. So I remember growing up and like my folks would like ask questions like, what do you mean when you say that's a bad car? Why would you say that? Because by bad, we meant good. My dad would always ask like, why do words change so much for people like you? I don't understand it. And I thought about this this week and how that applies here. A lot of definitions are changing. Jesus Christ does not change. Very quickly, I want to go through these three things. Jesus is alive at the beginning. That's yesterday. Jesus Christ is alive today. That's today. Jesus Christ is alive forever. Jesus Christ is alive at the beginning, so you can look at these things this way. At the beginning, creation. Jesus is alive today, salvation. Jesus is alive forever, reigning. So that's what we're looking at, essentially. Creation, today, and salvific things, and then the reigning, the kingdom that is to come. Jesus Christ is alive at the beginning. Hebrews begins with talking about the supremacy of God's Son. And so the writer of Hebrews wants us to know this. Nothing, no one, could ever possibly be supreme except for Jesus. It's pretty simple. Nothing and no one would ever be more valuable, more beautiful, more approachable than Jesus Christ. He's supreme. In the moments where we're asking Jesus to not be supreme, we're acting like the orig- our original parents, right? Like they want to be supreme. Not necessarily always knowingly are we doing that thing. There are moments where we just slip into that. 
And you can slip into, as a Christian, this space where like you're acting or moving about as if you're supreme. But if somebody were to ask you who's supreme, you would know to say Jesus Christ. But I want you to think deeply about the fact that this writer wants it known right at the beginning of this book. And kind of the way that I feel right at the beginning of this sermon, I cannot do what I am sent to do without making known up front that Jesus Christ is supreme. To whom has God said, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Of this son, the father says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of, um, of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. God the Father is saying that Jesus had his hands in creation. His son was not born in this sense that the first time that he's ever seen possessing being is in the New Testament, which some people believe. In the book of John, it says, in the beginning, it describes Jesus as the word, and it says, in the beginning was the word. Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God the Father is actually saying here, you laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. An unchanging God, an unchanging Christ. Why is it a good thing that God does not change? Later in the book of Hebrews chapter 6, God talks about how people, when they're trying to make a promise and they're trying to get you to believe what they're saying, they have to swear to something greater than themselves. Not different from how I grew up. I remember when I could, I, there were moments where I knew I was lying. I think the people who were listening to me knew I was lying. And I'd be like, man, I swear. And people were like, okay, all right. And I didn't know it was in the Bible. <laughs> I had no idea it was in the Bible that the Lord is going to use that to actually make something make sense to me later. In Hebrews chapter 6, God says that people have to swear by something greater than themselves. And I think it's because people know that they change. Like, I think we always try to find something to, so much so that I remember when I would not swear and use God's name in it. But almost unwillingly, unknowingly, to some degree, somehow, I started to put his name in it. I don't think that I knew that he was unchanging. I just felt there's something. I think Romans chapter 1 would say I did know. I did know who he was, but I think part of the reason that people, like I knew when I got married to my wife 
that the ring that I bought wasn't the best ring I could buy if I got more money. I see like y'all looking at me like, did he not spend with you? So he didn't spend everything? I don't mean it that way, I just mean like I, I probably should have waited and got a better ring, that's how I felt. Because I felt like something about the sustenance of that ring, the way that that ring would be received, was just super duper important. And I think we kind of swear that way, where it's like, what's the best that I could find to attach to my sentiments, to my affections? God says he does that, or he did that with Abraham, with himself. I would never swear by me. I hope that nobody would ever swear by me. I actually heard this this week, and it helped me to process this. I talked to a very close friend of mine, and I told him, like, bro, I think I might be scared to preach at Redeemer. Because I might have I been there too long. Somebody might not like me there. <laughs> And he said, man, you're going to be fine, bro. You do this. <laughs> I didn't like that. I appreciate him believing I'm faithful, but I don't want to swear by me. I never want to swear by me. So this, her- this sermon helps me. God says, I will make the promise, and I'm going to keep the promise, and my character is enough that you can actually believe the promise. Chapter 6, verse 17, but when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Jesus at the beginning, creation, this faithful God, he swears an oath by himself. That's what helps when we're afraid of change. We don't necessarily turn to how do we change for the better, but how do we pursue the God that we know that doesn't change. Jesus Christ is alive today. If it's true that we can trust God and it's true that Jesus is God, this is something that I've said before, and I kind of said it a lot of times at funerals. You remember in the beginning when God tells Adam and Eve, or God tells Adam initially, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will surely die. If you are familiar with death, if you've seen it, if you think about it, if you've watched it, if you fret, if you are aware that it's coming, it actually means that you can trust God. Because he didn't lie. It is true that everyone must die because they ate that fruit. And it finds us in this place where we have to have a hope in addition to that fact 
that can truly help us. I think that fact from yesterday mixed with where we are today, Jesus being alive today gives us refuge. It's not just important that Jesus is the same yesterday. For some of these people who would have read this letter, for instance, it's very important that Jesus is alive today for those of us breathing today, for those of us thinking about these truths today. A man from a much longer time ago named Athanasius, I think this is really dope because my son's name is Athan, that wasn't planned, but Athanasius has become one of my favorite names. I wouldn't have named my son this, but I like the name now. Athanasius says this, dead men cannot take effective action. It's important that Jesus is alive today for this reason. Dead men cannot take effective action. Their power of influence on others lasts only till the grave. Deeds and actions that energize others belong only to the living. Well then, look at the facts in this case. The Savior is working mightily among men every day. He is invisibly persuading numbers of people all over the world, both within and beyond the Greek-speaking world, to accept his faith and be obedient to his teaching. Can anyone, in face of this, still doubt, still doubt that he has risen and lives, or rather that he is himself the life? Does a dead man prick the consciences of men? When I first became a Christian, I have a friend who was in a wheelchair, shot in his back at a club that I was supposed to go to, and I didn't get to go to it, and some stuff kind of popped off. My friend got shot in his back. He cannot walk. When I became a Christian, and it kind of started to spread that I had become a Christian, I hadn't talked to him yet. I knew he was going to be one of the last people I kind of want to tell because it means that we're going to move away from each other. When he found out I'm a Christian, he said he believed it. He actually told me these words. He said, bro, I never, ever believed in Jesus, man. I never had a reason to, I felt. But I know there has to be a Jesus because I know you can't change yourself. I know you wouldn't have changed. We're doing decent. I know you wouldn't have. And he said for the first time in his life, he felt like there is someone alive that he had never thought about that's probably living. And we took that probably, and for 10 plus years, we've been working on it. I tell him things like, man, like I know you've never seen Jesus before, but that doesn't mean when you die, you won't see, you will see it. And it won't just be pages in a book, there is a man And you know what it looks like when you're in trouble. Sometimes my mom's face was... And there were other moments where the moment I walked in, I knew I was in trouble, and I told him, if you don't get right with him, that's the face you'll see, and you won't be able to say, you can't be here because I don't believe in you. You know how arrogant that is? to believe that somebody can't be alive because you don't believe that they're alive. 
but he is, and he's remained the same. God says this, again, pushing into the yesterday and today, chapter 1 of Hebrews, verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That is our hope in the midst of change. Jesus is upholding this universe, this crazy town with the violence, these crazy households that separate, come together, separate, come together, the craziness that I took my parents through, the craziness that we witness and we tweet about. and take pictures of. Like, I can't believe this lady doesn't know where her gas tank is. I'm gonna take a video and put it on my Instagram. All of the craziness that you can think of, the stuff that scares us, he is upholding the universe by the word of his power. Verse eight of chapter one, at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. He is the founder of salvation, perfect through suffering, the merciful and faithful high priest who made propitiation for the sins of his people, still able to sympathize with our weaknesses, tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. That man is alive today, and he has not changed, and change cannot run over him, and change won't persuade him to do differently. What he has always been doing, he is presently doing, he will do forever. Jesus Christ is alive forever. This is reigning. This is him reigning. One sacrifice forever. Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Chapter 7, verse 24. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is the one who warns from heaven. Chapter 12, verse 25. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. The Lord is going to clean up, and is cleaning up, this earth as we know it. He has made it known to people of the past that he was alive, he was powerful, and he was doing good. He is making known now to people alive, those of us who are breathing now, he is making known, I have not changed. Everything that was said about me, it's like having an Emmaus Road experience where you're running into this risen Savior and he's telling you all of that was about me. All of that sacrificing, all of that staying away from particular things, all of that was pointing to me. And what I am going to do, John chapter 14, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. 
Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it wasn't so, why would I tell you that, is what Jesus says. And then he says, I am going away to prepare a place for you, and I will come again, and I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. One of my favorite things from seminary that I can remember, because I got black spots, of just not remembering certain stuff. One of my favorite things is one time I was sitting in a classroom, and a man named Dr. Miles Van Pelt was talking about Joshua chapter 24 and this covenant renewal. And I'd never heard this before. And it made me, for the first time ever, feel like, I remember my mom and them used to like, sometimes like a preacher say something, they'll throw something. <laughs> 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 it's like the first time ever in my life where I'm like, man, I want to stand up and like, man, you better say that. He was talking about the covenant renewal and he said that God was promising these people that they were going to have fellowship with him in a garden that they didn't plant, in a city that they didn't build. Because of work that they didn't do, they were going to be able to have fellowship with him. And then he pointed to this, and he says, you know, that's what Jesus is doing. That's what he means when he says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. He's going to prepare for us a place to have fellowship with him that we didn't build. It's like a garden we didn't plant. We get to eat what we didn't plant. And it's not going to be on the basis of the work that we have done. So when you feel yourself in the midst of this blighting, withering change, unbridled lust, tempers ungoverned, overwhelmed, tired, afraid, think of the name Jesus Christ. And then you have to think of the name Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the same, means Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ, is Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ, yesterday and today and forever. That's the only hope we have. Beautiful part about preaching is like, I could suck at this. <laughs> like I take it, like I'm, I take it pretty seriously and I know that a lot of you know like, I love, like my mom still says, you just play so much, child. But I take this so seriously, but I could do a terrible job in Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ. All I have to do is mention that Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ who saves his people, who labors for those who don't love themselves. For those who... <laughs> I saw it, but I thought I turned the sound down. <laughs> Who points to the ends of sermons by iPhone. I think it should never stop being said, regardless of the pressure that we feel, regardless of things that are growing more popular, different sects, of organizations and stuff like that that spring out of the Northeast and different religious groups. I think the only thing that matters is Jesus Christ 
In the midst of all of this stuff that we're seeing is remaining the same. And he wants to walk us through it. Let's pray. God, thank you for your ability to be present. Thank you for attending this worship service, being with your people. Help us to feel your love, your affection, as we see your work in the midst of ever-changing circumstances. And we will be careful to give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.